for an informative episode from Parents' Rights in Education. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and I'm looking forward to our time together. We stand and defend the fundamental rights of all parents to raise their children and firmly believe children belong to their families, not the state, not the teachers, the teachers' union, or any other bureaucrat. I invite you to visit our website, parentsrightsined.org. Sign up to receive our news alerts. Like our Facebook page. Join or form a Parents' Rights and Education affiliate chapter. Making your voice heard is always easier with others. Just grab a couple friends and you're there. We will help with training, information, branding, and contact referrals. Let's start a Facebook group for you. Submit the chapter inquiry form on our website, parentsrightsined.org. Hey everybody, it's Suzanne Gallagher. Welcome to Parents' Rights Now. We are going to feature an article authored by Christopher Rufo, who is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of the City Journal. The title of this article is The Child Soldiers of Portland, and they're referring to Portland, Oregon. I live about 20 minutes from downtown Portland and was one of several individuals in our area who contributed information, factual information, to Christopher Rufo uh, for the publication. It's so nice to have somebody else do the writing and uh, pull together from a variety of contributors, all of whom are my fellow Oregonians. Again, the title is The Child Soldiers of Portland. Public schools are training children to become race-conscious revolutionaries. I have written several articles pertaining to this um, in relation to what's being taught in the public schools. Now this is just one more validation of what we believe to be one of the main reasons that we're having so much unrest in our country and hatred for the United States. So I'm going to begin. There are only a few places on earth where radicals and their children ritualistically burn the American flag, and chant, Death to America, Tehran, Baghdad, Beirut, Kabul, Ramallah, and Portland, Oregon. The city of Portland, a cloud-covered metro on the south bank of the Columbia River, has become known for its political protesters, anarchists, communists, eco-fascists, and various other agitators regularly denounce the police, politicians, and both parties, and America itself. And flag burning has become part of the protesters' liturgy. Last summer, protesters associated with Antifa upped the ante with chants of death to America and participated in months of violent protests to avenge the death of George Floyd, while he was in police custody in Minneapolis. Children as young as four marched with the crowd to the federal courthouse, raising the black power fist and chanting, quote, fuck the police, unquote. Famously, the whitest city in America, Portland, has become the unlikely headquarters of race radicalism in the United States. The city has elevated white guilt into a civic religion, Its citizens have developed rituals, 
devotions and self-criticisms to fight, quote, systemic racism, unquote, and white supremacy. The culminating expression of this orthodoxy is violence. Street militias calling themselves anti-racists and anti-fascists smash windows and torch the property of anyone transgressing the new moral law. We might be tempted to dismiss this as the work of a few harmless radicals, quote, keeping Portland weird. By the way, that is a bumper sticker you often see in Portland. But in recent years, their underlying ideology on race has become institutionalized. The city government has adopted a series of five-year plans for, quote, equity and inclusion, unquote. Shopkeepers have posted political slogans in their windows as a form of protection. And local schools have designed a program of political education for their students that borders on propaganda. I have spent months investigating the structure of political education in three Portland area school districts, Tiger Tualatin School District, Beaverton School District, and Portland Public Schools. I have cultivated sources within each district and obtained troves of internal documents related to the curriculum, training, and internal dynamics of these institutions. We can best understand the political education program in Portland schools by dividing it into three parts. Theory, praxis, or practice, and power. The schools have self-consciously adopted the pedagogy of the oppressed as their theoretical orientation, activated it through a curriculum of critical race theory, and enforced it through the appointment of de facto political officers within individual schools, generally under the cover of, quote, equity and social justice, unquote, programming. In short, they have begun to replace education with activism. The results are predictable. By perpetuating the narrative that America is fundamentally evil, steeping children in race theory, and lionizing the Portland rioters, they have consciously pushed students in the direction of race-based revolution. In the language of the left, the political education programs in Portland area districts constitute a, quote, school-to-radicalism pipeline, unquote, a training ground for child soldiers. This is not the hyperbole. Some of the most active and violent anarchist groups in Portland are run by teenagers, and dozens of minors were arrested during the last year's riots. These groups have taken up the mantle of climate change, anti-capitalism, anti-fascism, and Black Lives Matter. Whatever provides a pretext for violent direct action. Contrary to those who believe that the end of the Trump presidency would bring a return to normalcy, the social and political revolution in Portland has only accelerated under President Joe Biden. On Inauguration Day, Teenage radicals marched through Southeast Portland, smashing the office windows of the state Democratic Party and unfurling large banners with hand-painted demands. 
quote, We don't want Biden. We want revenge. We are ungovernable. A new world from the ashes, unquote. Intoxicated by revolution and enabled by their elders, Portland's kids are not all right. Tigard, Oregon is a placid suburb southwest of Portland. By the way, that's where I live. A local shopping mall hosts a Macy's, a Dick's Sporting Goods, and a Cheesecake Factory. The city's historic Main Street is a, a pastiche of coffee houses, boutiques, repair shops, and restaurants. Historically, the city's political squabbles have concerned zoning and land use issues. In other words, the typical politics of an affluent American suburb. Demographically, Tigard is not diverse. It numbers only 636 blacks out of a total population of 52,368, making up approximately 1% of residents. Nonetheless, educators at the Tiger Tualatin School District have gone all in on the social justice trinity of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Last June, at the height of the nationwide unrest, Superintendent Sue Reiki Smith and Board Chair Maureen Wolf signed a proclamation, quote, condemning racism and committing to being an anti-racist school district, unquote. The preamble to the document recited the names of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, and confessed that the district's students of color, and black students in particular, still regularly experience racism in their schools. Dismantle systemic racism, implement a collective equity framework, establish pillars for equity, deploy equity teams within schools, create racially segregated student affinity groups, and use an equity lens for all future curriculum adoptions. The next month, the district announced a new department of equity and inclusion and installed social justice activist Zinnia Oon as director. Oon created a blueprint, which I have obtained through a whistleblower for overhauling the pedagogy and curriculum at Tigard Tualatin Schools. The document calls for adopting the educational theories of Brazilian Marxist Paulo Freire, whose, quote, pedagogy of the oppressed, unquote, summarized in a 1968 book, with that title, was originally designed to instill critical consciousness among impoverished South Americans and to forge the conditions of overthrowing the dictatorial governments of the era. See Pedagogy of the Oppressor, Spring, 2009. Following Freire's categorizations, Un writes that the Tiger Tualatin School District must move from a state of reading the world to the phrase of denunciation, against the revolution's enemies, and finally, to the state of annunciation of the liberated masses who would begin, quote, rewriting the world, unquote. In her blueprint, Un describes the new oppressor as an amalgamation of whiteness, color blindness, 
individualism, and meritocracy. These are the values of capitalist society, but for Un, they are the values of white society, the primary impediment to social justice. What is the solution to pathological whiteness? According to Un and the Tiger Tualatin School District, the answer lies with a new form of white identity development. In a series of anti-racist resources provided to teachers, the Department of Equity and Inclusion includes a handful of strategies for this identity transformation intended to facilitate growth for white folks to become allies and eventually accomplices for anti-racist work. Couched in the language of professional development, the process assumes that whites are born racist, even if they don't purposely or consciously act in a racist way. The first step in the training, the first step in the training document is contact, defined as confronting whites with active racism or real world experiences that highlight their whiteness. The goal is to provoke an emotional rupture that brings the subject to the next step, disintegration, in which he or she feels intense white guilt and white shame and admits, I feel bad for being white. The training then outlines a process of moving white subjects from a state of reintegration to pseudo-independence to immersion in autonomy. In the early stages, activities include attending a training, joining an allies group, participating in a protest. Later, white subjects are told to analyze their covert white supremacy, host difficult conversations with white friends and family about racism, and use their privilege to support anti-racist work. At the final stage, trainers plumb their subjects, individual psyches, to ensure that their whiteness has been banished. Subjects must answer a series of questions to demonstrate their commitment. Does your solidarity make you lose sleep at night? Does your solidarity put you in danger? Does your solidarity cost you relationships? Does your solidarity make you suspicious? of predominantly white institutions? Does your solidarity have room for black rage? This is a pedagogy, not of education, but of revolution. It's also textbook cult indoctrination. Convince initiates of their fundamental guilt. Present a remedy through participation in the group manipulate emotions to achieve compliance, identify and organize against an amorphous scapegoat, demand total loyalty to the new orthodoxy, proselytize through personal circles, isolate from old friends and family, and keep the ultimate solution always out of reach. A veteran teacher who requested anonymity out of fear of reprisals, told me that the, quote, big change, unquote, happened when the new superintendent and equity and inclusion director 
took over the district. Immediately, the focus shifted from academics to politics, and employees were expected to fall in line with the new ideology. The teacher described one professional development training that left some of her colleagues in a neighboring school devastated. They had teachers actually crying because of their whiteness. Which brings us to the last plank in the Tiger Tualatin anti-racism program. Enforcement. As soon as Un took over as Equity and Inclusion Director, she formulated a new hate speech policy designed not just to prevent truly discriminatory speech, but also to pathologize any political opposition to the new order. The cultural cues in the district are clear. Teachers must support Black Lives Matter protests and oppose anything that smacks of conservatism. Quote, I almost feel like we're walking around on eggshells. You have to be careful what you say, unquote, a veteran teacher told me. Quote, I'm afraid of speaking up for fear I might lose my job. I mean, what would happen if I said I'm a conservative Republican Christian? How would that go? Unquote. When I asked how the new political education program had affected her personally, her voice broke. Quote, I don't want to go back to work. I don't believe in this. It goes against my faith system. We're always created as equals in God's sight. And this is just wrong. The way we're teaching our children. I don't have to be embarrassed because of my skin color. Unquote. Tune in next time for the rest of this insightful article. Thanks to Christopher Rufo for his excellent work and sharing this vital information. I will share the rest of the article next time. We make things easy for you at Parents Rights in Education, and we'd love to have you join us. Please fill out the form on our website called Join Us. Oh, and one last thing. Would you be willing to support us financially? Any donation, large or small, is a help. We are a 501c3 organization, and that means that you can take a tax deduction for any amount that you give to PRE. I encourage you to join the PRE 12 by 12 Club. That's $12 a month for 12 months. If you do that, you'll receive a complimentary parent guide as long as supplies last. Go to our website, parentsrightsined.org, and click on the Donate button. Thanks so much for joining us and for helping us do what we do here. This is Parents' Rights Now.